great. So it's my joy this morning to be sharing God's word with you and to take a moment to look at who we are as the oak and all that God is calling us, as in me and you, into. David Lavery last week spoke really powerfully, as Graham mentioned, on the purpose of us gathering as the church, as being the people of God together. And to some extent, this morning is part two. David reminded us of five specific purposes of why the church gathers. To break bread, to hear the word of God, and to let it bear fruit in our lives. To pray, and when you pray, to expect things to happen to preach the gospel, the good news, and that mission should be, a part, should be at the heart of who we are. And finally, for the spiritual gifts to be at work and to build up the church through them. So when we gather in his name, things happen. That was David's message last week. When we gather, things happen. We should expect that. As the oak, we love God, don't we? That is why we gather. That is at the core of who we are. We gather to give praise and glory to our God. David helped us and reminded us that we are also hugely, we hugely value our time together. We love each other, don't we? We are called to gather and be the family of God, the church together. Loving God without loving each other, you just miss a huge part. The building isn't the church, is it? Our Sunday gatherings aren't church. We are the church, the people of God, the family of God. Gathering together is an important part of that. And we gather because we love his family. There is value in being together, supporting each other, helping each other know more of God. But this morning I want us to focus on David's fourth point, in more detail, the gospel, the good news. That mission is at the heart of who we are as the oak. That's because we love his world. Those around us, our neighbours, our friends, our colleagues, our families, the communities that we live in, those that haven't yet heard the good news. When we gather, we get to hear and get to share the good news together. But we get to do that every single day of our lives. That is such a privilege. We get to share the goodness of Jesus every single day. It's not about this morning. It's about every single day of our lives. So this morning I want to remind us of our vision as a church and to take us back to Isaiah 61, which was one of the foundational verses as we first started gathering as the oak all the way back in January 2011, just over 10 years ago. For those of you who have been around since we started, that now feels like a very long time ago, because it is. So our vision is behind me, it's on our wall, and it's not overly complex. Our vision is to join God's mission to see the world transformed through Jesus' power to change lives. Our vision is to join God's mission to see the world transformed through Jesus' power to change lives. It's God's mission, and we get to join it, and see lives transformed around us. Practically each and every day, we do this by loving God, loving his family, and loving his world. 
So this morning, I want us to dig further into what does it really mean for us in this season, right now, to be showing love to the world around us, to be taking the good news of Jesus, joining his mission, and seeing the world transformed. Isaiah 61 is just a perfect place for us to dig into this more, and I'll be reading it shortly. However, though these words are spoken by God's servant Isaiah, the words take on a a much greater meaning when Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, reads from this section during his visit to the synagogue in Nazareth. And he closes his reading of Isaiah's passage with the statement, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This was the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Right there, that day, he was setting out his mission statement and declaring his core purpose in life on earth. It's why he exists and his goal. As I said, our vision is to join his mission. So let's take note. This is what we get to join in with. So this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' mission statement and how he is calling each of us into it, into this next season, and for the rest of our lives. So let's read Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. For many of you, this is a very well-known passage. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Such a powerful passage. So let's dig into these verses this morning. Let's take a look at them from Jesus' perspective when he declared that this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's look at them from his point of view and how they set out his mission Firstly, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon him. We know that when the spirit comes on people, he comes to bring action, to bring change, to bring transformation. There is always action when the spirit comes upon you. Jesus says, the spirit is on me and I have a purpose from the father. Then it says, the Lord has anointed me. In ancient times, when anointing someone, it meant to rub oil on them and to prepare them for religious service. The Lord has anointed Jesus for service, for a purpose. Jesus was anointed. It's his mission for life. So Jesus had the spirit of the sovereign Lord upon him, and he was anointed, setting him up for a missional life to bring transformation. He then goes on to tell us what this actually looks like, doesn't he? He says, to proclaim, which means to bring the good news. It's central. It's a good thing. 
Romans 1, verse 16, reading from the NLT, it says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Jesus came to save. That was his purpose. His name even mean, means God saves, to bring the good news. All other parts of his mission are contingent on him bringing the good news. Jesus was gospel-centric, you could say. Everything flows from here, everything flows from him. Probably pretty obvious, since Jesus himself was the good news. Yet, as you'll see, this is so key and helpful for us to remember this morning. It then goes on, it says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. His mission was to bind up, to heal the brokenhearted. When we bring the good news, there's a variety of things that happen. And one of those things that happens is that people's hearts are bound back together. They are made complete. They are healed. When we look at our world, heartbreak and brokenness is everywhere. Divorce rates are at the highest ever, with over 30% of marriages ending. 1.5 million people in the UK experience destitution. A poverty so extreme that someone lacks the basic essentials, i.e. shelter, food, clothing, heating. 100,000 children lack three meals a day or a warm coat at winter. With many people having lost their jobs due to the pandemic, their lives have been shattered. Our society is increasingly aware of this brokenness, I would say more so than ever before. There are now 2.6 million people seeking job seekers allowance or universal credit compared to only 1.4 million people before the pandemic. With the recent cut in universal credit just this past week, 20 pound per week for many has just been taken away. Huge increase in gas bills set for this winter and an ongoing rise in living costs. Many, and including some here today, are terrified of the future. It's not about living comfortably. For many, it's just about surviving. Brokenness. Our world is a mess. Some of you may well be working through the effects of this or other challenges of our broken world. Heartbreak is everywhere. It's hard for me to share those difficult stats. So often we just kind of miss it and live our generally comfortable lives. But Jesus says, my mission, my core mission, is to bring the good news and to take people's brokenness away and to fit them back together and to make them whole again. At Malachi chapter 4, verse 2 says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. He is bringing healing in his wings, and you are going to be like calves, leaping with joy when let out into the field. Jesus is putting hearts back together, bringing healing so that there can be joy. I think it's often hard for us to grasp that picture of joy, but just imagine the freedom for a moment of being able to run out into a grassy field when you have been shut away. There is complete joy in that moment. Brokenness, helplessness replaced with joy. 
Psalm 107 says, he sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. The gospel message is good news. It has healing, it heals people, delivers people, brings hope and joy into this broken, hurting world and gives them a future. Gives us hope beyond death. That is what it's about. We need to know that right now our world needs to hear that. That's not something we just get to enjoy. There is good news. Good news that brings transformation to our broken, desperate world. And we want his love, his world, to be transformed, don't we? Let's see people's lives turned upside down from worry, anxiety, brokenness to live full of joy and hope. He goes on, there's more. He says, he's come to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. He came to set captives free. The message heals, but the message also sets people free. Free from darkness. When you think about the world, we see a world that is captured by sin and darkness. When Jesus came, he came for a reason, to set people free and shine light. Matthew 4, verse 16 says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is about Jesus. When he came, he came to bring freedom and light. This verse gives me so much hope. I've been discouraged frequently over the past couple of years, as I'm sure many of you have. This world is just messed up and broken. It's fragile, unstable, and full of selfishness. This verse gives me hope that there is light. People who I have totally written off, Jesus hasn't. He shines light into the darkest of situations. Many of you will know that I work for Christians Against Poverty, for CAP. Uh, we provide free debt help through partnership with local churches all over the country. And one of my greatest joys of working for CAP is getting to hear the hundreds of stories of lives totally transformed. However, I also get to hear some of the most broken and desperate situations across our nation. I still remember one of those stories that I heard many, many years ago. One of our debt coaches working on the front line, going to visit clients, shared this story with me of an individual who was seeking our help. I'll call him John. I deeply remember their description of John and, and his flat. And after they went to visit John on his first visit, this is what they said. When they were approaching John's house, the windows were all shut and boarded up. On the inside, there were thick, dusty curtains blocking out any chance of natural light. You would have thought nobody lived there. John was terrified of the world, of the debt collectors, so much so that he shut out every single ounce of light. He kept his lights off, mainly because of not having enough money, but also to show there was no sign of life inside. John would only leave his house in the middle of the night to go to the nearest 24-7 garage to pick up the basic essentials. This is a dark picture, a picture of terror and helplessness. Nobody, nobody should be living like this. It feels so far from many of us. But this feeling isn't 
that unusual for so many living in this nation. Yet not all have gone to the extreme of boarding up windows, but the idea of feeling trapped and captive, helplessness and scared, is increasing. The number of adults facing clinically significant levels of anxiety have increased over 9% in this past year. The physical picture of John's story also paints a spiritual picture of what is going on in his life, but also the picture of many, many others. Shutting out the world, how much brokenness and darkness is there in the world that people feel like shutting everything out is the best way? The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This verse gives me hope, since Jesus came to set the captives free. That is what the gospel, the good news, does. That is the only hope, the only hope that I have. It's the only hope that we have in this life. The gospel sets people free from darkness and from sin. That was Jesus' message. That was his message to the church in Nazareth when he picked up the scroll and read from Isaiah I have come to set people permanently free. Not temporary, permanently free from darkness. Hope. We need to know that today, don't we? Our world needs to know that today. Next, he goes on, he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is a reference back to an event that happened every 50 years called the Year of Jubilee. It says a lot more about it in Leviticus 25. But simply put, there was a Sabbath rest every seven years. But when there were seven groups of seven years, seven Sabbaths, therefore roughly every 49 years, on the 50th year, they would have a year of Jubilee. Similar but different. During normal Sabbath, all the Israelites would get to rest for the year and the land would get to rest. But in the year of Jubilee, there were some additional perks, you could say. Debts were cancelled. If you owed financially to someone, those debts were cancelled. If you leased out land, that land came back to you. If you were a servant, you were free. Jesus said, I came to bring a Jubilee. You are in a favourable condition to have your debts forgiven, your sin cancelled. It's an amazing purpose that Jesus had. From when Jesus came to when he returns, we have the opportunity to come to him and have all our debts, our sin, cancelled and forgiven. Because he has paid our price when he came and died on the cross. He has brought hope into this broken, desperate world and shines light into the darkest of places. Someday he's going to come and avenge every wrong that has been committed. He's going to deal with every sin and every injustice. That's what is being talked about when he says the day of God's vengeance. But for those that know and love Jesus, our sin, our wrong, the times we've just truly messed up are all taken and forgiveness is given. Jesus came to bring a jubilee and we live in this time where we get to point others to that same freedom, the good news of Jesus. He doesn't want to leave anyone out. He doesn't discriminate. He doesn't come to bring hope to a few. He comes to bring hope to all. 
Maybe this morning you are asking, why would God save me? Why would God care about my despair, my brokenness? If that's not your question this morning, it's very likely to be the question of your neighbour or your work colleague. God cares about each and every person, including you. He has come to transform the whole world, take each and every element and bring restoration. Through him, all those boarded up windows, both physically and spiritually, can be completely removed and the light can come beaming in. There is hope in Jesus and that includes hope for you. The good news transforms our thinking. Jesus came to give us, and it goes on, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. In the worst possible times of our life, we don't have to mourn like those without hope. We don't have to walk around with ashes all over our head and garments of sackcloth to show we are mourning. Instead, it says we can have joy. We can have joy. There can be celebration. This is the good news, the gospel message, hope in the midst of despair. If you don't know Jesus, that's the kind of life. You live a despairing life without hope. But you don't have to, because Jesus came to transform our thinking, to transform our thinking about mourning, our thinking about death, and most importantly, our thinking about life. Then he finally tells us that this part of his mission is to plant trees. If you think of God as the gardener, this can really help when understanding this picture. It says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Jesus came to plant the good news in people's lives. It's a lifelong process. He is going to tend to the seed. He's going to water it and bring it up. He's going to prune that tree. But someday that tree is going to be a full-grown tree. That is what Jesus is in the business of doing, bringing up and growing righteous people that bring glory to God. That through the good news, he will bring people up into these glorious trees that display his glory. And that's where the name of the oak comes from. We want to see lives transformed through Jesus' power to change lives. Lives that go on to display his splendor to those around them. So how should we respond to Jesus' mission statement? Well, scripture is really very clear that we should follow his example. Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If we want to be followers of Jesus, we need to give up doing things ourselves in our own way. We need to deny the things that don't bring glory to God. The good news teaches that God is the provider and gives us everything that we need. We just need to trust God give our lives to him, that he will take care of everything. Take up our cross and follow him. In all the joys and the challenges of life, life and death, in the easy and the hard conversations. Ephesians 5 throughout says that we should imitate God, love just as Christ loved, and become a sacrificial offering just like Jesus. 
Jesus came to serve, to bring the good news, and he tells us that his mission should be our mission and our vision for the world. We want to see the world transformed. We have the call of God on our lives to bring the good news. Every one of us has been called to bring the good news. If you want to follow Jesus, you're called to bring the good news. Every single one of us. If you want to follow Jesus, bring the good news. And to bring the good news to our families, to our colleagues, to our friends, to those at the school gate, to our neighbours and to our children. He has called us to be gospel-centric, just like Jesus. It should be the reason that we live. So focused on the good news that it's the only reason we live. If that is your mindset, then you'll see some amazing things. Brokenness mended and made new. You're going to be part of seeing captives set free. You're going to get to proclaim some awesome things to people. Like your debt can be forgiven. He forgives all of your sin. Dive in. Dive in to Jesus. We get to be part of seeing people's lives transformed. We get to be part of seeing people's lives grow into beautiful trees that display his splendor. Isn't it amazing that we get to see that and partake in that? Isn't it amazing that Jesus chooses to use each of us to help others see more of Jesus and grow in their love for him? And in turn, that they go on and do the same. It's amazing. We want to follow Jesus' calling, bring the good news to others who will go on to bring the good news to even more people. That day in Nazareth when Jesus said these words are fulfilled, we get the ultimate fulfillment. It is done. It is finished. Jesus has saved the world. Yet there is also an element of practically seeing the outworked in the individual lives. He went on to tell many others about himself and bring hope and healing. And he calls us to carry on and do the same. John chapter 14, verse 12, often a difficult verse to understand. It says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. If you think of greater works, meaning more miraculous, you'll be hard to exceed walking on water, feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish and raising the dead. I don't know any Christian who has ever lived who has done all three of those miracles, let alone something more miraculous let alone every Christian having done these miracles or something more miraculous. So not greater miracles, but it's to do with the volume and spread. His ministry only lasted for three years. He only reached a handful of people. We get a whole lifetime. The church's work in the power of the Holy Spirit will be greater than Jesus' work in number and reach because of what he made possible. Uh, John Piper puts it this way. You will receive the Holy Spirit as a spirit of the crucified, risen Christ. Before the resurrection of Jesus, nobody in the history of the world had ever done that, not even Jesus. And in the power of the absolutely new experience, indwelling of the crucified and risen Christ, your works of love and your message of life in union with Christ will point people to the glory of the risen Son of God, and you will be the instrument. This will be new. 
This will be greater than Jesus' earthly miracles because this is what he came to accomplish by his death and resurrection. Because he has gone to the Father, we have the Holy Spirit working in us on our lives. Wow. John 14 again says, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So just like Jesus, these verses from Isaiah tell us that we, me, you, have the spirit upon us. And you were anointed for service just like him. You don't need to ask God for his anointing. If you're a Christian, you have his anointing. He calls us. We have the opportunity of greater reach. The gospel message, the good news, changes lives. It was Jesus' core purpose, and he calls us to do the same work for him. The Oak Church this morning, we are gathered here to love God. We are gathered here to love his family, but we cannot, cannot stop there. We are gathered here to be sent to go out, to be equipped to love his world. If we ever forget that, ever take our eyes off the outside of these walls, we have seriously just missed the whole point and personally forgotten the good news that so desperately we want the world to hear. It's too good to just enjoy it together. Matthew 28 Verse 19, extremely well-known passage, and it's basically what all this points to. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you and I know the good news and we see his mission for the world, let's grab hold of it. Make it our personal vision for our daily lives. If we don't do that and we go and make, so if we do do that and we go and make disciples, followers of Jesus, then the good news will be preached to the poor, the brokenhearted will be healed, the captives will be set free. People like John, who I mentioned earlier, won't be so desperate that his only hope in life is to block out the world. The spiritually blind will be able to see. Those oppressed by the devil will be experiencing freedom. What would Leeds and the communities that each of us live in look like if we stopped gathering for a nice time and chit-chat, but grabbed hold of Jesus' mission and his purpose for the church and for each of us? To gather together, to be sent into the world, filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to speak hope into this desperate world. What would it look like? This morning, there is a challenge for each of us. This is one of those moments where it's so easy to go, yes, I agree, Dan, we should do that, but probably not acknowledge that actually involves you and I doing something different. The good news is too good not to. It's not 
what we know or how much we know that will change the world. It's how we love others, share the good news that will ultimately help others experience the radical transformation of Jesus in their lives. There are many examples in the oak of people doing just this. I want to acknowledge that. Even last week at Fuel, we got to hear stories of people that potentially come here this morning who have been invited because of the good news. There are people doing Alpha with friends, helping them see the good news in the oak. God's at work. As the oak, we want to be equipping each of us for this. We want to be really intentional and recognise there is challenge here. And that each of us find this stuff difficult. But it's why we are here. It's our vision to see the world transformed. So we need to do something about it. And if we don't, well, Jesus tells us we need to. Our community groups in this next season are all looking at a great book, helping us live a spirit-filled life, sharing the good news. Our staycation next weekend has a focus on equipping us for this vision. Andy and Roz, who are our speakers, will be helping us receive the spirit for mission, helping us look at how we take the good news to our friends in everyday life. We announced before the summer that we're looking to recruit to help us as a church reach our community, and that process is going well. This next season, we believe God is going to bring transformation to many people, but we also believe that he wants to use each of us in doing that. And that means we need to grab hold of his mission. Sitting back is not really an option. The spirit is on each of you. And when the spirit comes, he brings action. So this morning, I think there is a moment. Maybe, Adam, you want to come back up. A spiritual moment of letting his spirit speak to you. Letting him challenge you and bring you in line with the vision he has set out for this world. He wants to use you, each and every one of you. None of you are excluded. What are you going to do about it? Ask him, since he wants to give you everything you need to simply take this good news to our broken, desperate world. As we respond, ask him. Ask him to fill you. Ask him to lay on your heart that person or those people who need to know him. Ask him for new friendships, for doors to be opened. Since this is his mission, we just get the joy of jumping on board and letting him use us. The good news is too good for us to sit back and enjoy it by ourselves, isn't it? Uh, So let me pray, and then we'll spend some time just seeking God together. Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you have chosen to use each of us to bring hope and restoration into this broken world. Thank you that you've sent your spirit upon each of us, that you've anointed us, proclaim and bring good news to those around us Lord we thank you for our calling the call that you've put on each of us to take the good news into the world and Lord we pray will you bring 
challenge, conviction. Lord, give us wisdom, give us hope, give us confidence in what you are asking us to do, Lord. But we trust you because this is your mission. It's our vision for the world. It's your mission. And Father, we thank you that you're calling us into that, to be part of it, to see this world transformed. Amen. Let's respond and worship together.